1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, I am in dialogue with Dr. Mark Schneegert. He is a professor of biological sciences at Wichita State University in Wichita, Kansas. Today, we will be discussing his new book, Anthology of Religious Poetry from the Mexican Inquisition Trials, of 16th century cr- Crypto-Jews, Paleographic Transcription and Translation into English, self-published by Open Charm LLC, 2020. Mark, it's an honor to be in communication with you today.
2: Thanks, great for having me. To begin, kindly
0: tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What formative events inspired the scholar and academic you'd become as an adult?
2: I was born in Brooklyn, New York, in Bensonhurst, and as a child, we moved out to Oceanside in Nassau County on Long Island, uh, where I grew up and eventually went off to college. Uh, I spent a lot of years in college learning science. Uh, My science background was really uh, initiated by the space program. By the Apollo moon landings. I was fascinated by space science, and I've been fortunate to be able to work with NASA and uh, in space sciences for most of my career.
0: What inspired you to engage in this book project? What message do you hope to convey to readers by
2: translating these poems into English? I ran across this story of Luis de Carvajal and his family that were persecuted during the Mexican Inquisition. And when I had seen some of the poetry that came out of the trial transcripts, I was fascinated. And I felt that these stories, these poems, uh, should be proliferated. They were hidden in archives of special collections and libraries, uh, very inaccessible. And I wanted to bring out uh, the words of these martyrs so that people could enjoy them, study them, uh, and be touched by them. What are the primary themes in the poems in this book? Uh, The poems come from several sources, it seems, and uh, they seem to have been written at different times. Uh, Many of them uh, are relatively upbeat, uh, renderings of their love for Hashem, and uh, their awe and excitement in being alive uh, and being able to be Jewish, but many of them talk about their suffering as crypto-Jews, being unable to uh, practice their religion, being uh, under threat of persecution all the time. And then there are many that talk about forgiveness and repentance and uh, wondering how they could get back into the favor of Hashem. Uh, There are some that are clearly written during the times that they were incarcerated and uh, they speak of the torments that they are going through and how they realize that this is part of Hashem's plan Uh, although they uh, wish that their personal situation was somewhat different.
0: What would you like listeners to get out of our dialogue today?
2: I'd like them to understand that there's more to Sephardic Judaism than they might realize. Uh, We're all familiar with the uh, mainstream Sephardic community that left the Iberian Peninsula and moved east to the Levant, to the uh, what became the Ottoman Empire, to the Middle East to Northern Africa, And certainly that part of Sephardic culture is very well known. Uh, as many people, a hundred thousand, they estimate, came west to the Americas. And this was at a time when America was just first uh, being explored in the sixteenth century. so, Their culture and heritage was likely as rich as the Sephardi heritage that we know of today. Uh, This is one portion of it. I believe more will come out over the years as uh, studies in crypto-Jewish history and culture uh, expand as we learn more about uh, these individuals uh, from the fragments that are left behind.
0: What was the most surprising thing you learned during your research and preparation process? Can you share any realizations or epiphanies that you
2: experienced? I think that uh, the most surprising thing to me uh, was how uh, dedicated they were to Judaism after more than 100 years in hiding. Over that time, they had lost the Hebrew language. They had lost the liturgy. They weren't allowed to have Jewish books. Uh, So to remain Jewish uh, and and, uh, very dedicated uh, to Judaism, after all of that, uh, was amazing to me and inspiring. Uh, And they held on to that through years of torture until they were finally burned at the stake. Uh, and it's just just inspiring. What are the
0: most valuable compilations of converso poetry from the Inquisition preceding and predating your volume? Can you tell us about some of them?
2: I'd say the most seminal work was by Obregon and company in 1935. There's, there's one central character in most of the stories about uh, Mexican crypto-Jews. And this is Luis de Carvajal, the Younger. Uh, He is an alumbrado, a mystic, uh, and led his clan uh, in Jewish studies and is probably the author of some of the poems uh, that we have today. In 1935, Obregón transcribed the original trial transcript uh, which was uh, a mixture of Spanish and Portuguese Uh, and this was published as a volume so this material was available and within there are these poem fragments that I had extracted Uh, so I think that that was one of the most important uh, starting points Uh, a few pieces of uh, poetry a few couplets had appeared in El Libro Rojo, the Red Book, uh, by um, uh, by um, uh, by by Rivas uh, Palacio, and um, he was a uh, member of the Mexican royal family, and uh, was a historian, and he had collected uh, a great deal of this Inquisition uh, documents uh in the late 19th century uh, eventually uh to pay off debts he sold some of these materials and these are the materials that show up in collections around the United States and around the world most of his collection is in the central archives uh, the general archives in Mexico City uh, so that was uh a beginning of it um the um uh, in 1944 Uh, Alfonso Toro uh, published a two-volume tome on the Carvajal family. Uh, It includes uh, a significant amount of poetry. Uh, It was all in Spanish to this point. Uh, None of it had been translated into English. Uh, But later, uh, after, well, uh, just preceding uh, Toro's uh, death and then some years afterwards by a family member, uh, that work was translated into English. Uh, the translations are uh, sometimes have high fidelity and other times are kind of fanciful, uh, taking poetic license. Uh, so there's a, there's a significant amount of poetry in that book. Uh, perhaps 20 years later, uh, Seymour Liebman, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest scholars in, in crypto-Jewish studies, um, worked with these manuscripts and uncovered uh, many more materials and transcribed these. Uh, his archives are at Tulane University, and he published several books, including uh, The Enlightened uh, in 1967, uh, which has some of the poetry, but uh, a long descriptions of the family and their lives. Uh, Martin uh, Cohen uh, also published a book in 1973 which was uh uh third printing was in 2010 and this is a this is a very heavy scholarly work um uh very uh detailed with uh, lots of great research behind it and some fragments show up there as well uh some famous pieces there's a a poem by uh louis de carvajal's grandniece uh, Leonor leonore de cesares uh, called the sexton poem and this one is uh, is fairly well uh, distributed through several different works. Uh, since then, there've been uh, a few pieces here and there that were published. And then in uh, 2000, uh, Michelle Hamilton, who was at uh, California Berkeley at the time, uh, published a paper that included um, several of the uh, Canticos, Canticos one through five, and some other pieces that um, weren't translated, but they were made more widely available because they were published in Sephirod, a uh, well-known journal uh, of Jewish studies. Um, and there've been some other scholars that have looked into this as well, but um, the bulk of the poetry uh, that is in my book uh, has not been translated, and much of it are uh, novel fragments Uh, that uh, weren't published or uh, discussed earlier. What were the biggest
0: obstacles and adversities you encountered in preparing this book? How
2: did you overcome or circumvent them? Can you elaborate? Certainly the most difficult aspect was the transcription from the original trial transcripts. The um, orthography The language that they used, the the way they spelled words uh, is different than Spanish that we might be accustomed to and different than Portuguese. Their handwriting uh, was very different than uh, what we would be used to today. Uh, Remember that they were writing with a quill, and uh, you would uh, expect that uh, each word would be separated, but they're not. Uh, they would lift their pen when they needed more ink. So some of the words run together and some of the words are split in half. Uh, the letter shapes are very different. Uh, S's look like E's. And uh, there's there's a number of things like that that made it difficult to even get a transcript to start looking at translation. Uh, so I really think that that was the most difficult aspect. And uh, I'll tell you that the way that I dealt with it was just repetitively working on it, uh, seeking uh, an understanding of how uh, these were written. Uh, but each amanuensis, each scribe, had a somewhat different handwriting. They used uh, different abbreviations. And Uh, that made it very challenging to come across with a uh, a transcript, this paleographic transcript. Uh, Finding the materials uh, was challenging, but uh, because this is not an area where I do a lot of library research. Uh, Fortunately, Seymour Liebman had made a grand study where he went through the index, the codex, for all of the materials known uh, from the General Archives of Mexico, all of the materials related to Inquisition trials of crypto Jews. And by making this uh, 100 page list of all of the documents allowed me to go through, find ones that were relevant to my story. And oftentimes it would accurately tell me where that document was today. Reaching out to each one of these libraries to uh, acquire the materials or get access to them uh, is a time-consuming process, and uh, many of these special collections uh, require uh, academic credentials that uh, that uh, that show that you are a, are a uh, scholar in this field and have the uh, wherewithal to handle. Uh, 400-year-old documents. So uh, I'm a scientist by trade uh, and didn't uh, have that kind of experience, but uh, the libraries and collections that I worked with were very kind and uh, very forthcoming with the documents, often digitizing them for me so that I didn't have to travel uh, to visit the documents themselves. Our fear and
0: anxiety presented in these poems
2: certainly they're worried about their situation there many of them were written uh, while they were in captivity apparently but they always have hope that Hashem will see their plight that Hashem will see that they are trying to follow the law as best they can given their circumstances And they feel that by doing this, that they will gain his favor and they'll be rescued from the situation. So there's many poems of repentance, asking for forgiveness uh, for their iniquities. And um, so although there's a lot of uh, descriptions of suffering, there's a lot of hope underneath that, that uh, no matter how it turns out, it's part of Hashem's plan, Uh, they're part of that plan, and they know that in the end, it'll all work out for the good.
0: In light of what you were just alluding to, how is Teshuvah understood in these works? How is Teshuvah relevant to the ordeals these individuals
2: endured? Uh, Many of the poems talk about repentance, They reference the Day of Repentance, Yom Kippur. They um, have a pretty clear, uh, I think, uh, relatively modern uh, understanding of return. Uh, They uh, realize that, as all of us, uh, we sin often and that this separates us from Hashem, it separates us from the light, from the mercy, from the uh, favor of Hashem. So uh, they just want to uh, lean themselves, cleanse this iniquity, uh, and they realize that if that cleansing comes through these trials, so be it. Uh, they will Continue to try and return uh, to uh, the proper path that uh, they obviously feel that they have uh, uh, walked away from, uh, even though that wasn't their intention. Although these poems are part of an oral tradition, who would have
0: constituted the imagined, ideal, or intended audience of such poems?
2: Well, I think I think at the time they were just trying to maintain Jewish identity. Uh, they had lost much of the liturgy in Hebrew. They had no access to Talmud or uh, a, a Jewish uh, Tanakh. They uh, really only had access to uh, books that were approved by. Uh, the Catholic Church, and they would look in those books to find Jewish themes that spoke to uh, their Jewish character, and certain uh, versions of the Bible were uh, more favored for them uh, than others, and so uh, in addition to these, uh, in in addition to these uh, Christian sources, they They've developed a liturgy of their own. Um, They have songs about the Sabbath day. They have songs about um, being joyful in their lives, uh, living the ways of Hashem. Uh, It was to pass on to each other, uh, to pass down. Uh, Many of them came over from Portugal uh, with them, presumably. Uh, They had been in exile or had been in hiding in Portugal for. A uh, hundred years, nearly, uh, before many of them came to the New World, so uh, this was their this was their liturgy in many ways. Uh, this is what they taught their children uh, when they were old enough. Uh, it was dangerous otherwise when they were too young because they were in hiding. Uh, so they had this, and it wasn't that they were completely without written materials. These were these were educated uh, individuals. Uh, Louis de Carvajal uh, read Latin. Uh, he uh, was well read and studied. They were wealthy individuals. They were merchants, uh, so they had standing in their community. It was uh, it was not a an easy um, or uh, popular uh, activity to persecute these individuals. <laughs> so uh, during that uh, during that time. Uh, they were studying heavily and uh, teaching and learning uh, about uh, what they could about Jewish topics. Can you comment on the theme of forgiveness in these
0: poems? What does forgiveness mean in this context?
2: Well, they're they're looking for a, a way to uh, get back into the favor of Hashem to relieve their suffering and to, again, uh, enjoy the light of his mercy. So uh they speak about this and uh talk about their uh, their suffering and how their suffering is derived from their iniquity uh, uh, in part. so they uh they look towards um Hashem for mercy, uh hoping that they'll be relieved from the difficult situation that they're in. can you
0: Tell us about the history and lineage of the Carvajal
2: family. Sure. Uh, The the Carvajal family are from uh, Portugal, uh, which was not very well distinguished from Spain at the time, and uh, there were a series of laws that were passed outlawing religions uh, beyond Catholicism, and they were eventually uh, left with the choice of converting to Catholicism, being uh, killed, or uh, running away in exile. And uh, many did more than one. They, uh, they uh, converted, they became conversos, uh, and they were hidden Jews, many of them. Some converted and became Catholics and have Catholic lineages and and many don't remember their Jewish heritage at all. Uh, the Carvajal family came to Mexico in the uh, mid to late sixteenth century. Luis de Carvajal, the younger's uncle, Luis de Carvajal, the elder, was a wealthy man who, managed to become the governor of the new state of Leon in Mexico. This was very unusual for someone with a Jewish background to get that kind of authority. But he was the governor of a district, and he brought a large number of his family and friends over with him, perhaps 100 or more over uh, over a period of time. Louis de Carvajal the younger, uh, the the central figure in my story, was uh, one of those individuals, and uh, he arrived along with brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, uh, in the fifteen uh, sixties to fifteen eighties, and uh, established a community there. Uh, many of these uh, Jewish settlers. Followed the conquistadors up into the desert southwest. Uh, they uh, helped to found cities like Albuquerque and uh, Taos, and a number of cities in the uh, Midwest. Uh, many, some of them, may have gone as far as Kansas, where I am. Uh, the uh, the conquistadors went as far as Lawrence, Kansas, and the the Carvajal family. Uh, Luis de Carvajal and, uh, had uh, several sisters. He had a couple of brothers, uh, which we know less about. Uh, some of them escaped the Inquisition. Some of them left Mexico, went to other uh, countries, other areas. Uh, this Western uh, diaspora uh, from, from Spain and Portugal uh, went as far as the Philippines and Guatemala and Brazil and all through the New World. Uh, they they were merchants. Uh, Some of them helped to found the city of St. Augustine. And with being a merchant came a significant amount of wealth oftentimes. And so they lived relatively uh, comfortable lives. And uh, so Louis's uh, sister, uh, Leonore, and his sister Isabel are uh, also key figures in my story uh in that they have a great deal of poetry uh in their in their trial transcripts um, but he had other sisters uh, catalina uh mariana who also has some uh poetry in her uh, trial transcript and their children and grandchildren also got caught up in the mexican inquisition some of them were persecuted through the through this through into the 17th century uh, the, um, the auto the auto of uh the 1650s involved members of the carvajal family uh, over time though people in the community recognized that they were doing jewish practices or things that seemed jewish They would uh, have a Shabbos meal on Friday night. They would light candles. They would avoid work on Shabbos. Uh, Most avoided eating pork, although some liked the taste of it. Um, So eventually it got known that they were practicing Judaism, although they were living outwardly as best they could as Catholics. Once embroiled in the Inquisition, it was a long period, a uh, decade or more, of trials and various types of confinement, imprisonment, torture, uh, and eventually, uh, they were publicly executed. so the uh, the characters that I know uh, where I've looked at their trials include Lewis, his sisters, uh, his mother uh, as well. And Lewis had a, um, uh, a companion, um, uh, just, uh, La Hermosa, the beautiful Mendez, who, uh, also was a great dogmatizer, uh, for Judaism. Uh, but the Carvajal family wasn't the only family, uh, doing this. Um, uh, Thomas de Trevino, and uh, Isabel Nunez, the seer, uh, they also had clans of crypto-Jews. And there was uh, intermarriage between these clans and um, there's probably additional writings and poetry associated with their uh, trials as well.
0: Can you comment on the libraries and archives you accessed during your research process? What are some of the locations where holdings of inquisition poetry were held?
2: Um, My first significant cache of materials was graciously lent to me from the Bancroft Library at the University of California, Berkeley. They have uh, a pretty extensive collection, and it included uh, three of the trials um, from this family, the trial of uh, Leonore, trial of Isabel, both sisters of Lewis, and the trial of Manuel de Lucina, who was a family friend and uh, related by marriage to the Klan a little bit more remotely, perhaps. Uh, The Obregon translation of 1935, of course, is published, and I was able to get that through Interlibrary Loan. Uh, It's a hard copy printed book. But the documents at uh, the Bancroft Library are the original uh, trial transcripts. Uh, I did not travel to Berkeley to see them. There are microfilm copies of them, uh, which typically don't circulate, but the librarians were nice enough to uh, allow me to uh, view them at the Wichita State University Library. So they stayed uh, at the library, and I would go and look at the microfilm, uh, thousands of pages of it, uh, to pull out these These fragments. So that's really where I was started and got a a great uh, deal of material uh, from them. The other sources uh, that I examined uh, one was at the uh, Huntington Library in Pasadena. Uh, This is a well known uh, collection, and uh, they have the trial of Leonardo de Ciceres from uh, 1601. I was uh, visiting Jet Propulsion Laboratory in uh, Pasadena, and was able to go and view this document. Again, they were very kind to uh, allow me to uh, handle the document and uh, and examine it personally. Uh, it was a great throw for me. I was uh, fairly far into the project at that point, and it was remarkable to me how f- fresh and new the document appeared. The writing was was heavy and clear. The paper was nearly white. Uh, It was was very exciting for me to be able to go through this material. Uh, In front of me was the signature of Leonard de Ciceres. The Inquisitors would make the prisoners sign their uh, statements or confessions, if you want to call them that, Uh, So that was uh, very exciting for me to be able to see this, and I photographed a number of pages uh, and found new pieces of poetry in there that hadn't been reported, in addition to the two works that had been known, the Sexton poem and another. Um, There are other Inquisition trials that have been published uh, that are less uh, directly related to my study, but uh, those were available uh, some of the materials that I that I have were part of the Liebman Archives, which were which are still at the uh, Tulane University at their Latin American collection. And uh, a friend of mine was uh, visiting New Orleans for a conference, and uh, she was nice enough to uh, photograph several hundred pages from the trials of Lewis's mother and uh, Justa Mendez, Lewis's companion. Uh, there's still additional material at the at the at the Liebman Archives to to be found, and the next time I'm in New, New Orleans, I'll I'll certainly go and take a look. Uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, the Kislak Center, uh, the Lee Collection has uh, several uh, trials uh, from related uh, members of this clan, um, Manuel Diaz and uh, Goncalo Ferro. And some of these have small fragments of poetry uh, in them that I was able to find. Uh, They uh, have some of their collection digitized, and I was able to uh, get access to those. Uh, Jewish Theological Seminary was helpful in providing documents to me as well. Uh, They even uh, digitized material that I could look at. Uh, One of the... uh, sources that I found that you might not expect is uh, from the uh, family history centers of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, As you may know, they are interested in Jewish genealogy and have quite extensive uh, genealogical records. Uh, The pieces that I found were just small fragments that were Originally from the Liebman Archives, I believe, and they were uh, copied into microfilm at one point, and then distributed uh, to several places. And uh, Hebrew University or the National Library of Israel has some of it. Uh, there's some other copies in and uh, other uh, in other collections, and. Uh, really, uh, when I reached out to folks, they weren't really sure what they had uh, and what these documents were. The main cache that I found were microfilm that had been digitized and put online that I could access at the Family History Center. Uh, the one, there happens to be one uh, in a town south of Wichita in Derby at the library. And I went down there and was able to copy out uh, dozens of pages of material. Uh, There wasn't a lot of poetry there, but it did lead me to other sources, which which was great. Um, One of the pieces that I had found uh, was at the uh, University of Washington at Pullman, not a place that you would expect for uh, for Jewish studies, but uh, they had a couple of trial transcripts that were uh, typewritten by a scholar uh, some time ago. Uh, He had purchased a couple of the trials from a, a dealer in antiquities, and transcribed them, and they sent me the actual typewritten transcripts, which I was uh, very impressed. Uh, I was very happy that they did that. Uh, and even here in uh, in at University of Tulsa, not far from me, at the Gilcrease Museum, uh, there were several trials, uh, a couple of which I've not seen yet, but uh, they they have uh, some material. So uh, these were from. A variety of collections they they raw they originally came from Rivas Palacio's collection, presumably., uh, but then uh, Annabelle uh, had a large collection that eventually got broken up. And uh, so there's a number of these collections that are that are now uh, sitting at uh, sitting in these archival libraries and special collections now.
1: slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
0: What can you tell us about digital or digitized collections of Inquisition poetry?
2: Um, like I said, the, uh, the, uh, the LDS collection has some material, uh, although that's typewritten. The materials at the Jewish Theological Seminary are available. The uh, materials at University of Pennsylvania at the Kislak Center are available. But I'll tell you, for for both the digital collections and the archival collections, the original transcripts, the real challenge is finding the right film, finding the right piece of information. So some of the collections have really uh, uh, well-collected or well-prepared finders guides that help you find materials. Uh, It's still a challenge. Many of the names of these individuals are common and used repeatedly. Uh, it's difficult to figure out who's who, uh, what years uh, the trials uh, were from, and then to go and find those in these special collections uh, and uh, sort through all of those documents is, uh, is really uh, painstaking. So uh, you can find the materials, and there's lots of materials to look at if you want to see what they look like. Uh, and see what the handwriting is like, and uh, and get a feel for them. But to find very specific documents uh, took a lot of effort, really. How how is the Sabbath depicted in these pieces? Well, I think uh, they uh, the piece that comes to mind for me is a poem that specifically mentions the Sabbath. It's it's short. I'll just read uh, the few sure. lines of it. Uh, in your in all your dwellings, do not light fire on Shabbat, that you will rest, because they will be contemned such souls if ye work. So they clearly recognize that uh, that Shabbos is not for work, and uh, they spent that time with their family. They uh, it sounds like they had relatively traditional sh- uh, Shabbos dinner, uh, lit candles on Friday night and uh spent the day with their family uh studying oftentimes
0: how did traditional jews in the ottoman empire in holland in italy in eastern europe and in other locations in europe and in the middle east or north africa respond to the plight of the conversos what was the spectrum of opinion what kind of help was available
2: well certainly in france the Crypto-Jews, the conversos, uh, found a more secure location. Uh, although uh, Jews were uh, persecuted in France at that time as well, uh, they it wasn't to the same extent. Uh, they didn't outlaw Judaism to the same extent, and they could live uh, relatively good lives there. Uh, the Jews that went west uh, really lost contact in large part with uh, the rest of the Sephardic community that we know today, although they did travel more widely than you might imagine for the 16th century. Uh, they were merchants, they took long voyages, and um, they had contact with, uh, with other Jews, uh, perhaps, but again, it was a very, very dangerous time for them. Uh, you could not give an inkling that you were not a uh, very uh, devout Catholic, Uh, any uh, hint that uh, you were not a devout Catholic would lead to inquiry. And these questioners, the inquisitors, never gave up. They just kept trying to find more individuals who were practicing the laws of Moses. And it was a very scary time for Jews, uh, for these crypto-Jews. You wouldn't train your children when they were young because they might say something and uncover the entire family. So they uh, were hidden and kept to themselves. Uh, There was some interaction between the groups. Um, Perhaps in Mexico City for a while, they were more open. Uh, because they were uh, upstanding members of the community and said that they were Catholic, uh, they weren't attacked as quickly as perhaps they were in Portugal, uh, where it was uh, more where the Inquisition was more fierce initially. Uh, but eventually uh, many got caught up in these uh, in these tribulations. but at the same time, many survived and uh, their descendants survive today. How is Christianity depicted in these pieces? It's not mentioned very much, but uh, when they do, they uh, talk about it in a negative light. Uh, They talk about blasphemers and heretics. They say that they unfortunately have to live among the uncircumcised and uh, not very complimentary uh, of their uh, of their Catholic neighbors. In what
0: ways did children suffer differently than parents and adults during the Inquisition in Mexico?
2: Children didn't know that they were Jewish for quite a while. Um, they might not find out until they were eight or 10 years old. And so they were spared some of the uh, hardship in that way. Uh, When the family got embroiled in the Inquisition, uh, Lewis's sisters, a couple of them, uh, Mariana and Anna, were very young, uh, too young for the Catholic Church to prosecute them. So they were brought to convents uh, where they were watched and uh, they were trained in Catholicism and Uh, Mariana, I think, is um, a classic figure here. Uh, They essentially waited until she was old enough before they put her on trial. And there are some classic artwork of Mariana and uh, her execution uh, in the uh, auto de fe of 1601. Uh, There's a a, she was just confused about what was going on. Uh, Here's a quote from her which says which is better to believe and say you do not believe or not to believe and say you believe uh it's is a terrible situation that they were in uh, because they they didn't want to give up their judaism they couldn't uh they couldn't fully accept catholicism and at the same time they couldn't be who they were as jews uh, she is depicted uh, in uh, the artwork, uh, there's two classic pieces uh, of her execution. Uh, one, uh, she is tied to the stake and burned. and uh, the other, they would garret her first. So they show her being strangled with a wire. Uh, presumably, that was more uh, humane than being burned alive. So this... If you accepted Catholicism, if you kiss the cross, even on the way to the pyre, you would get this relief of being uh, killed in what they saw as a more humane fashion. I don't believe that any of these characters uh, accepted Catholicism on the way to being murdered uh, after years of torture to finally give in, in the last moments does not seem in character at all for these individuals. This to me is propaganda to say that they did eventually see the truth of Catholicism uh, to lessen their story as folk heroes so that their martyrdom was not as potent as it might have been otherwise. Uh, I think they all uh, went to flames uh, holding on to their Judaism. Uh, Many of them uh, uh, died uh, reciting some of these poems and reciting uh, Jewish prayers uh, as they were being uh, killed. How do the poems collected here understand the soul? How do they depict the relationship between the body and the soul? It's difficult for me to say, really, from these, uh, from these works. I think that they clearly have some understanding of the mystical uh, side of Judaism. They have some understanding of Kabbalistic thought. Uh, they haven't. They seem to have an understanding that uh, what happens in this life, uh, in this physical world, is really not the reality of Hashem's work. Uh, that uh, working on your soul, um, using the life that you have, to uh, raise the uh, spiritual uh, power of uh, the physical objects in your environment and yourself. Uh, I think that they I think that they understood that. Um, I L- Lewis was called a mystic. Uh, I think that they had a lot of spiritual insight. And given the <laughs> torments that they went through, those are the types of trials that build character. Those are the types of trials that bring out. Uh, aspects this is this is why we get trials and tribulations in our lives so that we can learn more about our our self uh, and not our minds but our our spirit and improve our spirit and recognize uh the the things that are that are truly uh important uh in this life I think they had a, an understanding of that how are shame and guilt portrayed in these pieces um uh, certainly they, recognize that they're sinful and they feel guilty about it. Uh, they wish that they could follow the laws of Moses more closely. Uh, they realize they're in a difficult situation. They're doing the best they can. Uh, but even beyond the situation, uh, we all know that uh, it's it's a, a challenge to uh, maintain your perspective and uh, follow the laws of Moses closely, and uh, have it be uh, an important part of your life at every moment. Uh, they recognize this, and uh, they hope that they will uh, repent in a way, or uh, teshuvah in a way that will bring them back into uh, the favor of Hashem. How does your book
0: advance our understanding of prayer?
2: I think it says something important in that, although they didn't have the traditional prayers uh, that we all know today, uh, for the most part, they still valued prayer and created their own liturgy created their own poems and uh, psalms, if you want to call them that. They um, I, they seem to be um, uh, spiritual and religious, but uh, not in a traditional Jewish way. I, I think it just uh, speaks to uh, practicing in individual ways and that Uh, This is also a way uh, to reach out to Hashem and connect, uh, and that uh, they uh, felt this connection through their prayers. And uh, many of their prayers, of course, are asking for the end of their tribulations and their suffering and the persecution that they're under now or at that time.
0: How does your book advance our understanding of the history of crypto-Jews and conversos?
2: I think the greatest benefit of my work is the bibliographic aspects of it, Uh, believe it or not. The the gathering of these materials together and uh, where they came from and having them available to true scholars in this area. Again, uh, my training is in um, microbiology and space sciences. Uh, I'm not going to uh, likely write a deep uh, thesis on uh, the cultural aspects of this uh, community, but others will. And the bibliographic work that I did is tedious, time-consuming, perhaps a little boring for a real scholar. Uh, But now that the materials are available, I'm hoping that Uh, Individuals will use them for scholarly work. I believe that there's many uh, thesis documents and stories to be told uh, from these poems. Uh, There are uh, scholarly uh, pursuits in this area now. Uh, Ron Perelis at Yeshiva University is uh, running a project called Translating the Americas. Uh, It's not looking exactly at this collection of poetry, but looking at other documents that Louis de Carvajal had written during his life. Uh, He had written uh, Last Will and Testament. He had written letters to his sisters. The the inquisitors would give him pen and paper at times to let him write because they hoped that he would say something that would incriminate another member of his community. So they encouraged him to do some writing. Uh, Some of those materials uh, still exist and uh, have not been translated.
0: One theme which frequently arises in the poems is that of divine punishment. Out of the poems presented here, think about divine punishment.
2: It seems to me that they do make a connection between their iniquity and the punishments that they're getting. Uh, But at the same time, they recognize these tribulations as part of the broader story of Hashem's goal. Uh, to um, to teach us in a way where we return uh, to him uh, with a more open heart. So they see it as a necessary evil in part, but they surely wish that it wasn't happening. It's 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 just overwhelming for them. How is the Inquisition in
0: Mexico remembered in contemporary Mexico and? Beyond in the contemporary West, can you comment on the phenomena of collective memory and collective amnesia in play in regard to the Spanish Inquisition in general and the Mexican Inquisition in particular?
2: What what I'll say to that is that um, the descendants of these crypto Jews have lived in Mexico and the desert Southwest throughout Latin America and South America for centuries now. Uh, many of the descendants uh, have been practicing Catholics for all of this time. However, perhaps their grandmother would go down to the basement and light candles on Friday night. And when the child would ask, why are you doing this? She said, don't, don't say anything. This is just what we do in our family. And so many descendants of crypto Jews had recognized that there's something Jewish about their family. They didn't even know that there were uh, crypto-Jews. They didn't know the story of the Inquisition. Um, Perhaps half of the founding members of the major cities of the desert Southwest were crypto-Jews. Today, many of these crypto-Jews are finding their heritage again. There was a very large um, genealogical study done by Jeannie Milgram, that has hundreds of thousands of names. So the descendants of crypto Jews can go and look for their family members, look for their family tree, and realize that they have Jewish roots. Of course, they've been living as, you know, the family's been living as Catholics for generations, so uh, they need to convert back to Judaism. And this is happening in large numbers. There are congregations dedicated to uh, crypto-Jews, the Anusim, that are returning to Judaism. Um, uh, Rabbi Stephen Leone in El Paso is perhaps the most famous. Uh, There are uh, stories and books and movies uh, about his work. Uh, He is in El Paso and has a a synagogue down there that caters towards uh, crypto-Jews. There's another group uh, in Albuquerque doing the same thing. So these um, the descendants of crypto Jews, and we're talking millions of people, we're not talking a handful, we're talking many millions. In fact, uh, one study of a family in Brazil of a great dogmatizer there uh, estimates that there are 500,000 of her descendants living in Brazil today. Uh, there's a lot of descendants Uh, And a a good portion of them are from the Carvajal family. Many of them have the name Carvajal or one of the other family names that we see. So uh, these uh, many are returning to Judaism uh, and converting back. uh, And with that, uh, Portugal has uh, recognized the error of their ways and uh, several years ago um, set up a system where uh, Sephardi Jews, Jews with Sephardic heritage, uh, can uh, obtain citizenship in Portugal. So some individuals that were descendants of Crypto Jews in Mexico are rediscovering their Judaism, converting, and moving to Portugal. So uh, this is something that's only been going on for a decade, uh, not less than a generation. So I think there's going to be a lot more of this. I think it's going to become a strong and vibrant community uh, over the coming generations. And through that, we are going to put together, through bits and pieces and family stories, more of the cultural heritage of the Western emigration of uh, Sephardi Jews. What kind of knowledge or
0: education in the Bible did Converso women in Mexico? likely receive how would they have known what they did however little it was as is reflected in their poem um in their poems can you elaborate on how converso women in particular would have come to know what they did about the bible or of jewish scriptures in what ways was this similar or different from men how did men who were conversos come to know what they did about bible jewish scriptures what was the difference in male and female knowledge and access to knowledge
2: it's not surprising perhaps to hear that uh, the education of children was left predominantly to the women of the uh, community so they were passing down a lot of these traditional songs and stories to their children the um, Men were, uh, at least Lewis de Carvajal was educated uh, in uh, and could speak Latin and uh, had a fair amount of training, it appears, or at least a lot of study uh, of biblical sources and related literature. Uh, It's not clear to me uh, how much uh, of this uh, was transmitted from men to women and how much of it was uh, studied directly. Uh, by the women themselves, uh, there's a uh, there's a good uh, article by um, by uh, Emily Colbert Cairns, uh, who is in um, uh, Rhode Island at University of Rhode Island, I believe. And she wrote an article uh, talking about uh, women's roles in the society and what we can learn uh, from these crypto Jews. Uh, One uh, point that she makes is that the story of Queen Esther was very important to uh, the women of this community. And I think the Purim story in general uh, was important to this community because their plight was in many ways uh, like the plight of the Jews at that time in the story of Purim. Uh, That book does not contain The name of Hashem in it. Hashem is behind the scenes in some way. So unless you're looking in the right places, you're not going to obviously see his influence. So they felt uh, a kinship there that um, although they were being persecuted and it looked bleak, perhaps, that behind the scenes Hashem was working for them. And working with them, so I think I think the women were very important. Um, there's a number of stories uh, in the trials uh, where the women are heard singing the songs because these weren't just poems; these were canticos, these were songs. In fact, at their trials, uh, they were forced to sing the songs, and Manuel de Lucina would come with his guitar and play the songs with them. Uh, so. These were songs, they would, they would hum them, nobody knew what they were humming. They would sing them if no one was around. Uh, and while they were doing their work or cooking and having their um, uh, getting ready for Shabbos, uh, they would be singing the songs. And this is how uh, they were uncovered in some cases. they uh, Somebody would report, I heard them singing the song and it had these lyrics. And these lyrics are not Catholic lyrics. So, um, I think they were, they were important. Uh, the other point that I'll make is that although much of the poetic material that I pulled from the trial transcripts is from the trials of Leonor and Isabel and other women, the trials themselves are collections of materials in evidence against the, uh, in, you know, the individual that's on trial. So, uh, Sometimes the words that the poems came out of the mouths of the women and uh, from the trial. Other times they were copied over from testimony from other trials. And uh, we don't know and may never know uh, who the authors of these poems are and when they originated.
0: In light of what you've just alluded to, how do the poems presented here interpret or reinterpret the Bible? Other than Esther, what specific stories show up as having inspired the poems and poets?
2: I have to say that I I don't see a lot of that in the uh, the trial transcripts. There's an occasional reference to a psalm, uh, a line or two. There's occasional reference to uh, a biblical character like Jehoshaphat. uh, But Mainly, there's not a lot of that in the materials that I found. Uh, They certainly had Bibles. uh, They certainly had other works like like uh, Fry de Lewis, um, uh, Fry Louis de uh, uh, Ponce de Lyon. That's it, Fry Louis. Uh, They had a a number of these um, works that were Christian works, but were seen as having a Jewish character. Uh, So I don't see a lot of biblical stories and only occasional uh, references to what I would call the uh, liturgy. There are several fragments of the Shema. There are several fragments of the Amidah, uh, some of which, interestingly, are not uh, transcribed very well uh, by the Amenuensis. So we'll have the Shema, But they'll leave out the last phrases of uh, the Lord is one. And somehow that everything else will be right. But that part they don't write down or they misspell or they put another word there. So uh, we don't really know uh, everything that they that they had at that time. But um, I don't I don't see a lot of references to uh, biblical characters in these uh, in the works that I studied.
0: You write as follows on page nine. Transcripts of Mexican Inquisition trials of the late 16th century are contemporaneous, handwritten notes detailing the questioning and torture of crypto-Jewish family members and their associates. Individuals suspected of being Judaizers were arrested and imprisoned for months or years. Episodically, the prisoners would be questioned by local inquisitors, sanctioned by the church in a tribunal chamber, the prison cell, or the the torture chamber. The Inquisitors were meticulous in gathering culpatory information from the testimonies. Portions of the testimony from the trials of other crypto-Jews were often copied in manuscript and added as evidence against the accused. There was a complex and formal process in place that structured these trials and their oversight from the church overseas, given that heresy was a capital offense." This results in versions of testimonies being prepared and published where the names of individuals were hidden and often noted in the margin of the archival copy and where summaries of testimonies and charges were composed, leading to several renditions of each testimony in a single transcript. Can you elaborate upon this passage? Can
2: you interpret it for us sure uh it's a lengthy process for the church to put someone to death you have religious figures who are preaching peace who are living uh lives uh, supposedly of piety and yet they want to in the end execute uh individuals for their ideas uh It's uh, a difficult challenge for them to justify that morally. So it seems that they needed to have a very detailed uh, rendering of the charges of how this is heresy and uh, being certain that they're doing the right thing. Uh, In the end, the church did not execute anyone. They handed them over to uh, secular authorities. Uh, The prisoners were relaxed they say, to uh, the secular uh, authorities for execution. Um, the church in Mexico, of course, was connected to the church in uh, Spain and Portugal. Uh, that's really where the decisions were made uh, in large part, or at least had to be approved. And so copies of trials, summaries, uh, were sent uh, to Europe and responses came back. Uh, the trial materials were publicly published. They were available to the public. They were publicly available copies. And these are the copies that don't have the uh, accused or um, the the witnesses uh, names associated with them uh, because they're fishing for more individuals. They They want more information about more people so that they can embroil them in the Inquisition and find more. So uh, they spent a lot of time uh, just asking the same questions over and over again, Uh, a lot of time um, pushing the witnesses and uh, really uh, tormenting them uh, eventually to the point of actual physical torture. And the trial transcripts are, are meticulously detailed. They would write down everything they would say, uh, even when they were being tortured. It would just be a series of screams and, and, and please stop and, and those types of things as they were being tortured. I, I don't know anymore. There aren't any more Judaizer. I've told you everything and a lengthy, lengthy um, uh, passages like this. And they would deny knowing anything else. And then they would crank the rack one more turn and continue to ask the same questions. Uh, The women uh, were uh, demoralized. They were uh, stripped to the waist at least during their trials. Uh, Certainly, at that time, it was even today that would be a terrible thing to do. Uh, So uh, it was it was it was uh, difficult. uh, And to justify what they were doing, it was very legalistic. A lot of legal evidence to demonstrate that they were following the laws of Moses, and uh, then they would uh, proliferate that and eventually get permission from the church to relax them to secular authorities for execution. Uh, Not everyone was executed. Uh, Some were uh, released. They were considered reconciled. Uh, They had um, shown that they really were good Catholics and really weren't uh, following the laws of Moses. Uh, oftentimes, they would, uh, of course, escape at that point and uh, and move to another uh, area of the world, oftentimes, and live in hiding uh, from that point forward. Uh, some had several trials and somehow survived and uh, never were executed, like Justin Mendez uh, was on trial more than once uh, and was not executed. So um, different individuals got Somewhat different punishments, uh, depending on how bad their offense seemed to be to the authorities. Are there any
0: poems you would be interested to interpret and share with us? Are there any you'd feel comfortable offering an interpretation
2: or commentary on for us? Uh, there are a couple that i that i that I enjoy that i that I think are that speak to me anyway. Uh, mm. uh, one of them is Cantico Six. Uh, it's relatively short. And I'll say that every poem is a truncated version of a lengthier composition. Uh, every poem ends with etc. So these are really, even what we have are just pieces of the poem. So this one is uh, just one one, uh, stanza, really, Uh, Cantico 6. How pleasant it is, how delightful, much more than anybody knows to imagine, to follow this very glorious path whereby Hashem commends us to walk. The whole law of Hashem is very pleasant, and he who dares to blaspheme cursed will they be in that life where there is no certain time nor measure one of the projects that moved me to study these crypto jews is a calendar that i created called everyday holiday Uh, it's available online now Uh, the published book is not available uh, because i'm revising it but i'm personally very tied to the calendar I think every day is a special day on the Jewish calendar, and there's something to celebrate and as an energy to tap into, whether it be the uh, energy of a rabbi that passed away on that day, whether it be a historical event or an actual holiday that's currently observed or perhaps an ancient holiday. And without that, I feel that I I don't have a, a compass to how to proceed with my life without seeing the cycle of the calendar in the Jewish year. And uh, so this is important to me. And so when I hear them say that you will be cursed in a life where there is no certain time nor measure, that says to me they don't know Rosh Hodesh. They don't know the energies of the months. They don't know um, which holiday leads into what and how this enhances your soul and makes you a, a better person, richer in, in so many ways. Uh, and so this, this poem spoke to me from that perspective, that uh, they recognize the value of the Jewish calendar and Jewish uh, life cycle. Uh, and they recognize that the uncircumcised around them did not have the benefit of that. Uh, and they saw all of the laws of Moses and uh, as pleasant and um, something that gave them great joy uh, to follow through. Thank you. thank you for sharing this. Uh, there is another yes. that uh, that I appreciate uh, and it's the it's the next uh, poem actually, Cantico 7, sure. because my Lord gives you pleasing new songs as making new works every day, there in the city of thy saints, I will praise your name every day. End our mighty weeping and gather us into your holy company. And do not give us as we deserve because we trust in you. I think that this is the hope of all of us. uh, And this is uh, why we love Hashem as much as we do, as his mercy. His mercy is far greater than his anger at our iniquities. Uh, Our uh, forgiveness comes easily from Hashem. And if we trust in him, then. We won't be punished as harshly as we probably deserve for what we've done. We're not following his laws, for not recognizing him in our lives uh, every moment. So, this one speaks to me uh, from that perspective of how trust in Hashem uh, brings out more of his mercy and shines more of his favor on us.
0: Thank you. I'm sincerely grateful that you shared that with us. As we bring our dialogue today to a close, can you tell us about how you've been spending your time since completing this book?
2: I spent some time initially trying to proliferate copies of the book and get them into library collections. Uh, To me, that extends the work in time, especially if I can get the book accepted by a special collection, because those are typically not broken up. Uh, Many of them are author-signed copies so that uh, they have a longer life in the library shelves. Uh, I won't live forever, but uh, perhaps these works will uh, remain uh, available to the public uh, for a long time. So I I spent some time doing those types of things uh, for anthology initially. Uh, The project that I went back to is Everyday Holiday, the calendar project. I realized that many of the entries are not as accurate as i might like them to be i use secondary sources that weren't as accurate as i might like them and uh, it was really written for me and so that i had the calendar there wasn't uh very consistent formatting the entries weren't consistent in the information that they included so i've been going through those thousands of entries with today's technology Uh, being able to access uh, vast quantities of knowledge on the internet to uh, find several sources for each uh, date, for each yard site, for each uh, historical event. So I've been spending some time going through that uh, book, uh, perhaps the last two or three years. Uh, It might be another year or two before I uh, finish that process. Uh, That's been my, uh, my Jewish studies project of late, but I'm waiting to see what inspiration comes next.
0: I wish you only the very best
2: in such pursuits. Thank you. Well,
0: Thank you. As we bring our dialogue today to a close, I'm your host on the new Books in Jewish Studies podcast, Ari Barbalat. Today, I've been grateful for my dialogue with Dr. Mark Schneegert, he is Professor of Biological Sciences at Wichita State University in Wichita, Kansas. We've been discussing his new book, Anthology of Religious Poetry from the Mexican Inquisition Trials of the 16th Century Crypto-Jews, Paleographic Transcription and Translation into English, published through self-publishing by OpenCharm, LLC, 2020. Thank you wholeheartedly.